0: Good evening, Mosaic. Will you stand and just take a minute to read the scripture on the screen and center your attention. I know it can be a flurry to get here, so we're just gonna settle into some scripture for a few moments and then we'll sing together.
1: truth tonight church you can be seated i want to invite tom tumor who leads our prayer ministry here at mosaic up for a time of prayer
2: well good evening last month we started what we're calling these prayer pauses and it's a time to just simply engage with god and relax, and we hope to give you some very practical opportunities to grow just in simple prayer. Last month, we talked about just humbling ourselves before God and kneeling, and um, this time, we're going to talk with you about, again, a very simple thing. The first thing is just relax. Uh, Take a deep breath and relax. And as we do that, our goal is to focus, refocus our attention on God. And I don't know if we'll get here tonight, but for me, as I give myself time of refocusing on God, I can then rest, rest in his love, rest in his presence. Um, Can we put the slides up? Are they up? Okay, they're up. Um, But how do I do that? part of it for me, the first thing is I have to receive. As I I take my deep breaths, the first thing I realize is, God, you're the one that's given me breath. And there's so many things that God has given, right? And so to receive from him the gifts that he has given. um, In John 1, it says, of Jesus' fullness, we have all received one blessing after another. And so... As I seek to refocus on God, I begin by just saying, God, thank you. Thank you for the gifts that you have given me today, this week, and beyond. But inevitably, as we try and focus on God, at least I'm this way, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of distractions that come. And so Paul says that we just cast those on him. And a lot of times I'll just open my hand and say, Lord, I release this to you. So very simple. Relax and breathe deeply, um, refocus on God, and receive from him what are the gifts that he has for you tonight. What is it he has to say to you? We are coming into the place of the living God. He lives within us, and he is among us as we walk in here tonight. But then releasing those things to him. So we're going to just practice that right now. So, um, if you want, I would invite you to kneel. Uh, you don't have to, um, that's totally up to you. Whatever is a position that helps you to refocus. Um, and then I want you to just take several deep breaths. Tonight, I'd like to f- refocus our attention on Emmanuel, the God who is here, the God who says, Come, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest because I want you to find rest for your souls. Um, and so he's here among us. He lives within us. He also is the one who says, I see you right where you are. And I care about you right where you are. So let's just go ahead. We'll, we'll have just a few minutes. And um, yeah. Father, thank you that you are the living God among us tonight. Thank you that as you look, you see us. You see into each heart. You see the struggles, the concerns. You see the joys. And you say, come, bring them all to me. And so tonight, Lord, we come. Thank you that we can be here with one another and with you. Amen.
3: Church, would you stand with us as we worship Jesus tonight? Would you just acknowledge the first line of this song? Because you are with me in this moment. You have led me to this place. Though the darkness round me closes. Faith. Sing that again as you are with me in this moment you have led me to this place And though the darkness round me closes I will hold a hope by faith so we confess this tonight Cause your love will never let me go, never let me go. Your goodness is steady. love. Running me. So we sing this about him all my life. He's all my life. I'm gonna see Of the goodness
0: Of God Mosaic, as we prepare for communion Nope, offering. offering Would you read this prayer with me Out loud together as a congregation Lord You are the giver of All good things And your word makes clear That every good and perfect gift Comes from you We ask that you accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May these gifts bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. Just as you multiplied the offering of fish and the loaves that were freely given for others, we pray that you would multiply these, our offerings to you, and accomplish with them more than we could ask or imagine. We give freely and not from compulsion, for there is nothing we could give that matches your glory and majesty and the great gift of your Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, which guides us daily. All we have is yours, Father, and we ask that you would use us and all we have as you will. Amen. Amen.
1: Fully in you. And Lord, would you forgive us for searching for meaning and significance in other things? And thank you for continually drawing us back to your heart, back and recentering us on you, who you are. significance and the point of it all is found it's found in you and so are we and we're grateful.
4: how we love you tonight amen you can be seated amen so our family did a, a remodel this year of our living room and kitchen and it was like strip it down to the studs type remodel like just just smash it with a sledgehammer, knock it all down. And so in order to do this, we had to take everything out of our living room and kitchen, empty all the cabinets out. We lived in the house for 10 years. And so it was just empty everything out. And as we started doing this, as we got cardboard boxes to put all our stuff in, we had this very regular experience of pulling something out of the cabinet and going, oh, that sat in there for 10 years. We probably don't need that anymore. So we started a system where we labeled boxes that will come back in the house and boxes that better never come back in the house. And in prepping for this remodel, it was an opportunity to kind of reassess everything we had and go, we don't need a lot of this stuff. We need to simplify, we need to reorder and get rid of the things that don't need to be here anymore. And in many ways, that is what the letter to First Timothy has been about, is that, that Paul has set Timothy in to this church in Ephesus and he uses this metaphor about the church being the household of God. And he's saying, Timothy, it's time to put the house in order. And there are some things that are there that don't need to be there. Or there's some things that need to be rearranged. Some problems that need to be addressed. And if, if it's felt a little redundant through the last ten weeks, there's a reason. Paul is really hitting on two big ideas throughout the entire letter. You have to stick To true doctrine, the the true teaching of the faith. You have to cling to it, and then you have to fight for godly living and character. That's it. And anything that's going to distract us from those two things, from our true faith and our true godly character, anything that's going to take us away from those things have to be pruned. They don't come back into the household. They're going out. And so as we come to the end of the letter this week, we're going to find Paul still wants to talk about true doctrine and godly living. But what he's going to do here at the end is he's going to put a little extra oomph because he's closing out the letter and he doesn't want to just tell Timothy what he needs to focus on. He wants to remind Timothy why to give him the motivation to be able to continue in that direction. So that's what we're going to see Paul be up to. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. If you want to turn there in your Bibles and join us. So as, as we come to this passage, um, I'm, going to, I'm going to read it from beginning to end. We're going to skip over verses 17 and 19 because we covered those last week. Um, Paul kind of does this back and forth thing where he talks about wealth and he talks about the big picture. And so we covered the wealth verses last week. So 1 Timothy six eleven, we go, But you, man of God, Flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. And then in verse 20, Timothy Guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. So this is Paul's final charge. And we want to start with this command in verse 11 as he addresses Timothy. He doesn't call him by name. He gives them this very special phrase, man of God. And this title was one that was given to a lot of important figures in the Old Testament, people who had special roles of serving the Lord. And he addresses Timothy directly, and he says, I want to challenge you. And he gives him two challenges, flee and pursue. Now, he says flee from all of this. What is he referring to? Well, this is pointing back to the worldly pursuit of wealth that we addressed last week and probably all of the trappings of temptation that come with that. So he says, Timothy, I want you to flee the temptation to chase after sin, and instead, I want you to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And there's something going on here that fits a pattern that Paul comes to over and over again when he's describing our growth in godliness. That there are actually two emphases that have to happen side by side. One is what you're stepping away from, And the other is what you are stepping towards. You always have to talk about what you're fleeing and what you're pursuing. Look at how he says it in Ephesians, another letter written to the same church. In Ephesians chapter 4, he said, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul's saying there's a set of sinful, destructive behaviors that have to be set aside, and then a new set of godly behaviors that have to be put on, that have to be pursued. Now, the reason I'm drawing attention to this is there has been a tendency among many believers to build spiritual life around one and not the other. Okay, so picture it with me if you can imagine what that would look like. What would a life look like that emphasizes leaving behind sinful behaviors without any attention of the new life we've been called to? Uh, Put aside the sexual immorality. Put aside greed. Put aside anger and rage and and, and everything that we would chase after, abusing food and drink. Put away all of these things and clean up the morality of your life, and that is the extent of the faith. It becomes some kind of dead legalism that is equipped to see everyone else's sins but has absolutely nothing positive to offer the world. None of the love and mercy and generosity that so characterized our Lord in his life on earth. Now, flip to the other side. What would it look like to pursue all of these good deeds in the world without attending to the sin in our life? To be motivated by, we need to go love the poor. We need to go serve people. We need to tell people about Jesus. We need to have evangelism and do good things in the world. How many organizations, ministries, and leaders have been driven to do good and have been absolutely decimated because they didn't tend to the sinful temptations in their lives? And so often we see it split down the middle between obsessing on one to the exclusion of the other. And either pattern falls short of what God is calling us to. To have the the morality police that's making sure everybody leaves behind the sin but has no positive act of godliness and righteousness, love for neighbor, love for the community, desire to tell people about the good news of Jesus is, is a dead legalism that doesn't bring hope. On the flip side, to go out and try to do all of that good while ignoring our sin guarantees that you will undercut the very good you're trying to do. So consistently, Paul puts both out there. Consistently, he says you have to do both. And what tends to happen is people in these two camps tend to just criticize the other one and use the fault of the other one to say why they should be ignored. The people that are all about doing good, they criticize the morality of this side because they say, Yeah, you can be all about your sexual purity, but what good are you doing in your community? And the people over here will say, Yeah, you can be all about your loving the poor, but have you looked at the state of your marriage lately? And they discount the other one when the reality is we need both. And Paul calls Timothy personally to hand to pursue both walking away from the destructive pattern of sin in his life and pursuing a godliness that is going to have an impact on the community around him. It is both the life that you're leaving behind and the life that you're being called into. And so he puts this out in front of Timothy and he says, fight the good fight of faith and take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Now notice this. Eternal life is something that Paul is calling Timothy to take hold of. Does that mean that our eternal life is something we go out and earn by our good behavior? No, we can be very confident from everything else Paul has to say that that's not what he's talking about here. Sometimes we're so scared of that idea of earning our faith that we miss what's actually being said for fear of that coming up. What does Paul mean when he says take hold of eternal life? I think what Paul's saying here is that the life God saved us for, he doesn't intend us to start living after we die. Here's one of the beautiful things about our faith. The the Jewish faith in the first century looked toward a day when there would be a resurrection from the dead. And they knew that when you saw the resurrection of the dead, God was starting to make things new. Now, there was a debate going on in first century Judaism between would there be a resurrection, would it not? Would it just be spiritual? Would people come back? But there is one thing no one predicted, and that is that somebody would rise from the dead before the end of the age. You see, when Jesus rose from the grave before the very end, that sent a message that the new era of God's kingdom was starting now. To be completed when we all rise, but available to begin living now. So what Paul's telling Timothy here is, hey, that eternal life that God saved you for, you don't have to wait until the kingdom comes to start taking hold of it and living in it. He actually, by his spirit, gives you the power to start living eternal life today. Eternal life goes on forever, right? So why wait to start living in fellowship with God until after this life is over? He's saying, Timothy, you can start living it now. It'll be completed then, but begin walking in it now. And then he starts to remind him about the past of where this began. When did eternal life begin for Timothy? When you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This is probably talking about Timothy's conversion. And probably his baptism. He's saying, Timothy, at that moment, when you professed in front of the church that you're a follower of Jesus, that's when eternal life started for you. Right in that moment. That was the beginning. And he's going, so now you can start walking in it. And then, in verse 13, is when Paul, or Paul really starts to get to the why. The motivation behind What's going to drive this transformation in Timothy's life? He says, In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. This was referring to Jesus on trial when Pilate said, Are you the king of the Jews? And he said, It's just like you say. I charge you, keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. In every letter, in almost every letter in our New Testament, this theme is bound to come up somewhere. No matter what's being discussed, at some point the truth that Jesus is coming back will always come into the picture. Why? Because that is the motivating reality for eternal life beginning now. If you know that the entire world is going to be restructured around King Jesus then the smartest thing you can do is start living in light of that future reality today. I have a friend who a few years ago bought an old house in Bentonville with the idea of remodeling it and possibly flipping it. And shortly after he made this purchase, there was an announcement that Walmart was building a new corporate headquarters right next to his house. What did that mean for his home value? Through the roof, overnight overnight. Now, nothing had actually happened yet. No construction had started. No work had been done. The announcement of a future event changed the value of his property today. Because people knew that when that construction takes place, everything's going to change for this location. What Paul is saying is that because Jesus is going to return... And he's going to restructure the world around his values. We have a reason to restructure our life around those values now. Suddenly, investing in that piece of property that he bought looks really, really smart, right? You don't feel like you're wasting money by trying to make that property better and prepared because you know that it is such a solid investment. Everything you put into that property is going to maintain its value because of of what's happening there. Paul is saying to Timothy, because Christ is going to return, every bit of effort we put in to being made more like Jesus, to working for the kingdom, has a promised return, even if we can't see it right now. There is a certainty to what God is going to do in the world that motivates all of our efforts today. And then, after talking about the return of Jesus... He then goes to talk about the timing of it. He says, which God will bring about in his own time? Okay, so pop quiz, when will Jesus' return be? Whenever God decides, which means we don't know. Okay, I have a, uh, one of my theology professors had a guy who had, was publishing a book and had done a whole lot of calculations and he had determined the date of the return of Jesus. And so he, had, he and his young mentor came in to go make this pitch to my theology prof to try to get an endorsement. And the theology prof listened to him very patiently. And then when he was done making his pitch, he turned and looked at the young man and said, hey, when he's wrong, promise me you'll have a cup of coffee with me before you abandon your faith. We don't know. We don't know. And in fact, a lot of the applications that we come up with For anything having to do with the return of Christ are just way, way off. When Jesus brings up, when when anyone in the New Testament brings up the return of Christ, the application is always the same. Is the purpose of promise of Jesus' return so we can pick out political figures we know are evil? No, I'm really thankful for the end of the email chain letter because that used to be an every four-year thing that I got evidence for why this candidate was the Antichrist, forward it to 10 people if I agree. That's not the purpose. You know what the purpose also is not? To scare us into buying up gallons of water and building a bunker. What is the purpose being addressed every single time the return of Jesus comes up? It's right here to motivate faithfulness. The purpose is always the same. We know Jesus is coming back. Therefore, we know the Christian life has value and it is worth everything we can put into it. We don't know when. We simply know that it will happen. And then he continues to talk about this God who chooses the timing. He says, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, he's sovereign over everything that happens in the world. Whether we can see it or not, Whoever looks like they're in charge, God's really in charge. Who alone is immortal and lives in unapproachable light. That's a picture back to those Old Testament images of God when He would appear over Mount Sinai. And it was such an intense moment that people had to look away. Whom no one has seen or ever can see, to Him be honor and might forever. Amen. At this point, Paul. Points. I mean, why does this happen? Why in the middle of an instruction to leave behind sin and pursue godliness does Paul break out into a praise song about God? See, I think Paul understood that our motives for living the Christian life would primarily be the reordering of things that would come because of Christ's return and an absolute awe of who God is. C.S. Lewis tells the story of when he was a kid and he first discovered Norse mythology. Wonderful little nerd, right? And he reads Norse mythology and there was this sense of wonder stoked in him that just made him come to life reading these stories. And it set him on a journey of loving literature. But he returned to those myths years later expecting the same sense of wonder. And you know what happened? It wasn't the same anymore. Have you ever had this experience? You heard a song for the first time, you saw a movie, you read a book, and it it made something happen in you that just lit you up. And when you returned to it later, you expected the same sense of wonder, and it just wasn't there. Um, I experience this often when I'm looking for a song to, like, hit my mood, and I just keep skipping through, like, 30 songs because none of them quite create the feeling I want to have in me at that moment. And Lewis said, that experience that is common probably to all people points to something deeper. The author Ecclesiastes said it this way, eternity has been set in our hearts. We long to discover a sense of wonder and awe rooted in something or someone that no matter how many times we come back to it, it never disappoints. And Paul understood that the source, the purpose for that longing in our hearts is to be met in absolute awe of who God is. See, there's a truth that Paul is getting at here that this life of transformation, for it to last past the initial moment of conversion, when you give your life to Jesus and you're told you're forgiven and it's so exciting and you're ready to go change, and then you experience your first failure and you want to crash and burn... For that life of transformation to continue, there has to be a motivation that keeps you going. During the Victorian era in England, um, they invented a very special torture advice, a device for prisoners. It looked like this. It was essentially a mechanical wheel that had steps on it, and it would just turn forever, and prisoners had to stand on it and keep walking like a hamster on a wheel. And it would literally drive people insane. This was what they did to torment prisoners. Fast forward several generations, and we pay $2,000 for this device. (laughs) We sign up and pay monthly membership so that we can go stand on a Victorian torture device. What turned an object of torture into an object of luxury? Purpose. 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 When you are pursuing an end that never came, when you are walking on a wheel with no end in sight, it will literally drive you insane. But that exact same activity with a purpose, with a goal, and with a promise of fulfillment becomes something that will motivate an incredible persistence through pain and trial. And when you exercise, I'm told this by people who exercise, um, you don't see measurable results during the single workout. Is that true? Has anyone, like, suddenly, like, walked away and, you know, they lost 10 pounds from one workout? I hope not. Um, you, You walk away and you're suddenly stronger and in better shape from one workout? No. You have to believe, you have to be convinced of the truth that this activity if persisted in, will transform you. And what Paul is saying is this God, this God who alone is sovereign over the universe, who alone is immortal and blessed and lives in unapproachable light, this God who no one has ever been able to see, he's that glorious and beautiful. The transformation that you are experiencing prepares you to see him and know him. It prepares you for that day when Jesus is king. And that motivates persistence where we are today. And then Paul closes out with his final charge to Timothy. Timothy, guard what's been entrusted to your care. This idea of guarding what's been entrusted, it's a reference to the gospel, to the good news. Remember, at the time that Paul's writing this, we don't have a New Testament. The four gospels hadn't been written yet. The story of Jesus isn't written down. So how was the good news protected? By people who would learn the truth, memorize it, and then tell others. So Paul's saying, Timothy, you have been entrusted with the good news of what happened to Jesus, about Jesus' life and what he's done for us. Guard it. Defend it. And ultimately, it got entrusted in this book. It got deposited in the scriptures. So he says to the household of God, guard this deposit. Stick to it. Teach it. Study it. Learn it. Build your life around it. This is where we meet the Jesus who is coming again. This is where we meet the God who is glorious and worthy of our worship. Stick to it and turn away from all the other godless chatter that means to distract and pull away. Don't be sucked in by it. So as we come to the, the end of 1 Timothy and we're, we're thinking about where, where do we go as a church from here? This is a message to a church in Ephesus that's been really distracted, that's been shattered, that's been hurt, that's had some leadership fail, probably their own elders in the situation in Ephesus. And I would have to imagine there are people who are ready to throw the towel in. And Paul is telling Timothy, this is how you reorder that household, to be faithful until the return of Jesus. Focus on the scriptures, the teaching, guard the deposit. And then as a community, pursue righteous living, flee sin with your vision filled with the coming of Jesus and the glory of God. Cultivate that. So today... For this church, what motivates us to keep going when things start feeling a little hopeless? In my own battle with sin, I don't know if y'all have seen the Hunger Games, but in that moment when Katniss first comes into the arena and there's like mines all around her, any direction she steps, she's dead. That feels like every day of my life. Like I feel, When I read the sin and temptation list, I just go through and go, yes, 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 yes. There's not a single one of them that I don't feel tempted by. And sometimes the fear of that temptation, the awareness of my own sin makes me just feel paralyzed. I just don't want to move because I don't trust myself. My own incomplete sanctification can bring despair. And I can wonder, am I ever going to reach that point that Christ has for me? And when we look around at the world, there are plenty of reasons to lose hope. Just going through some statistics today, I was just getting a picture of where we are. 600,000 babies aborted a year. 70,000 overdose deaths in America in a year. 40,000 suicides. In America, Two-thirds of children in African-American homes grow- growing up without a dad in the house and three times more likely to end up spending time in prison. An African-American mom, three times more likely to die in labor. And we live in a culture where there's We've seen over the last couple of years, there's racial pain and division. We don't even know how to talk about it without screaming at each other. And I'll be honest, I have just wanted to give up not knowing how to speak into the pain of the culture around us. Estimates on this one are really hard, but this one was incredibly sobering. Between 15 and 50,000 women and children forced into sex slavery each year in this country. How do you keep going when you face the horrors that people are facing in our country? In Northwest Arkansas, almost 9,000 kids who when they go home on a Friday, if someone doesn't intervene, they don't get food until they come back to school on Monday. Kids that don't eat. How do you keep going when you pray for healing and cancer wins? How do you keep going when another marriage falls apart? How do you keep going when it seems like around every turn there's another sign of a reason to throw in the towel and give up? Paul's charge to Timothy to stay in the fight are two incredible facts. God is still king and Jesus will come back and set it all right. Therefore, no effort we put in now is wasted. All of those dark things are not the end of the story. None of them ultimately win. Therefore, even our efforts that seem futile are not futile. Because of the hope we have of what Jesus is going to do. When the prayer is answered, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, We look to you in hope. Lord, pray that you'll put our house in order. Help us to be faithful. Lord, give us such a, a great vision of who you are. That it sustains us, that it motivates us, that that sense of wonder and awe in you never fades. Help us to cultivate it in our worship. Give us strength by your spirit as we flee what destroys and pursue the life you've called us into. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: How great the chasm that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation yeah.
5: the cross.
6: and he we're celebrating tonight. Yeah. Ah. Have y'all enjoyed our time in First Timothy? It's been sweet. It's been so sweet. And uh, we're excited to continue to be a church that focuses in on the Word of God together. Um, as we do it, we know we're stepping into holiday season. And for some of us, it is a season with new babies or grandchildren and lots of beauty. And for some of us, it's a season... there's some brokenness and and there's some pain. And uh, regardless of where you find yourself on that spectrum, we want to be a community that centers in on Jesus and his work this season. So as we step in next weekend, as well as the following, we're going to have a Thanksgiving share service next weekend, which is going to be a sweet opportunity to come in this place together. And to give thanks. So one, if if you're an introvert and you're kind of like, ooh, I don't really like sharing. uh, We wanted to give you the heads up. If you're an extrovert and you love talking, keep it short. Maybe just put a couple of bullet points. (laughs) We do not want to be here all night. Uh, Another opportunity coming your way, particularly if you're in a community group, I highly recommend this for your group, uh, would be our Advent devotionals. Um, Not only for you and the Lord, but when you get a a collection of the saints together centered in on these these texts as we step into the Christmas season, uh, it's gonna be a beautiful, beautiful time. We'll have one, uh, there'll be readings as well as uh, the chance for audio. Uh, Our staff has written some beautiful, beautiful devos that you can also listen to throughout the week. And uh, it's such a joy to have gotten to gather in this space with you tonight. And uh, if you need prayer for anything, um, we would absolutely love to pray with you. We'll be available right over here. And speaking of prayer, that there was a, a, a quick prayer that the early church, it happens, Paul said it in Corinth, and then in the first century they began to use it as a greeting and a, a goodbye, and it was Maranatha, say Maranatha. Maranatha. And it meant, come Lord Jesus, come. That's, that's exactly what it meant, and it would be something that the church would say to one another as they left their gathering place, to go live out the kingdom in their city. So friends, together we pray, Maranatha. We love you, Mosaic. Grace and peace.